Hey, good morning. Good morning. I'm Dave. Uh, if we've not met, we have a couple of campuses joining us. If you're new to Two Rivers, we have a couple campuses. One out in Roan County. Good morning to you. Down in Bearding, good morning to you. And here on this campus, a couple other venues. One uh, just over the way called Blend. Good morning, Blend. And Amped uh, will be joining us uh, a little bit later, too. So good morning. All right, here we go. Uh, as we get started this weekend, I'm going to start uh, as, by asking you to save the date. Okay? Save the date. Last week in June, June 25th and 26th, we're calling it Vision Weekend, ultra original, I know. Uh, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's an opportunity for us to talk about vision. And over the past year, we've been talking about the vision that, that God has for us that over the next 10 years, where we're headed. But this is specifically where are we headed in the 2022-2023 ministry year. We, we work on ministry years. Our, our budget starts on July 1st, and the ministry year runs through June. And so it's an opportunity for us to do a few things that weekend. Uh, to, to have a, a church-wide meeting that weekend, we'll vote on a budget. If you're a member of Two Rivers Church, you get to vote on that. And also two elders, if you've been through membership and you're a member of Two Rivers Church, we'll vote on, on uh, two elders. But also we'll be talking about really practically over the, the course of the next year. There'll be some things we're asking everybody to join in on. There'll be some prayer opportunities during the year, three service weekend opportunities during the year, opportunity for us to, to where are we going together. And so we're excited about that weekend. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like on every single one of our campuses exactly, but uh, I do know here on Harrison Lane, there's going to be some food trucks. There'll be different opportunities to have a, a, a celebration together. So uh, with that, uh, bring your wallet and um, <laughs> it's what it is, man. Um, opportunity for us to celebrate together, to, to, uh, to have lunch together, to hang out together. And so we are super pumped about that weekend. Most of all, just to be talking about where God is, is sending us, not just big picture, but now practically. And then our campus pastors will come and talk about what's the practical application for every single one of our campuses. How are we putting this thing into motion that we believe God is calling us to? This weekend, we're wrapping up our series called Out of the Chaos, where we've seen um, God's story transition, right? That, that God's story begins in the midst of chaos. In the ancient mindset, the world existed in a state of disorder. And what we see is God gives the, the world order and function. And what we've seen along the way is the story of Genesis isn't a story that, uh, of an argument of how we can argue against modern scientific theory. It was never intended for that. It shouldn't be used for that. I know there's ministries out there that try to do that. I just think they're wrong. I think they're giving people a misguided application of the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis is about what? God created the world. God, in the first 11 chapters, sets a foundation that make the rest of his story make sense. And so God's story, without the first 11 chapters, is wacky. But with them, it sets up the problem. And the problem is what? That people are living under the curse of sin. That people are broken by their personal rebellion against God, their personal declaration of independence from God, God, I don't need you. And because of that, that, that we, we are under a curse called sin. 
But God desires that we would experience his blessing. That's what we saw last weekend. So as we get started this weekend, we've we've also been talking about, I know we've talked about it every week, and it's probably really old, but but it's really important that we would know that when we're reading the book of Genesis, that, that we understand that there's a driving question, and that is, what does this reveal about God? What does this reveal about God and God's character? That's true in all of Scripture, but especially in the Old Testament and in the book of Genesis in particular. What does this reveal to me about God? Now, in our next series, we're going we're gonna to talk about characters and their faith, other characters in God's story. But the goal, remember, is never to be like another character in the book except who? Jesus. Okay? He's always the solution. All right? The only character in the Bible that we model our lives after is Jesus. Every other person we learn principles about faith from. And so that's going to be really, you know how you got in this series, what does this reveal about God? You're going to get that next one in the next series, okay? It's always about looking like Jesus, but what do we learn about faith as we look at other people? So this week, what we're going to do is we're going to give you the series in 60 seconds. Why? Because it's important that we would build principle on top of principle. My wife is a math teacher. One of the things that that she says is um, the only way to get good at math is to do math. You can't do it another way. You can sit through all the lectures you want, but if you don't actually put it into motion, if you don't actually do the problems on your own, you're never going to get better at math. The only way to to do math, to get good at math, is to do math. The same is true about our lives following Jesus. The only way to build faith is to put it into practice. The only way that, that we grow over time is to take biblical principles into our lives and put them into motion, to put them into action. It's, it's not, this book is not, it's not a book of information. It has a lot of information, but, it, but it's about how do we then put it into motion? How do we put the things that God has taught us into action? And so um, I'm going to give you the series in 60 seconds. Are you ready? You just go back and watch this one clip. Series in 60 seconds. Here we go. The first thing we learned in this series is that God is better than I think he is. God is better than I think he is. And it's kind of in doubt as we read these first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And then we saw that God's better than I think he is because why? Because even God's judgment is better than I think it is because God's judgment creates new beginnings. And that's the pattern that we see in these first 11 chapters is that God brings judgment, but then he extends grace. He brings judgment, but then he extends grace. And in that grace, people find a new beginning. We also see that that when it's in doubt about God's commitment to the creation, it really gets resolved, and especially through all of God's story, as we read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, God is fully committed to us. God is fully committed to us. Ultimately, Jesus is proof God is fully committed to you. God's fully committed to you. And and you may be in doubt and you're like, I'm not sure to me, Jesus. Jesus is proof that God's fully committed to you. And we also saw that God's better than I think he is because he's far more other than I think he is. The word is holy. God is far more set apart. God is far more set apart than I think he is. And we saw last weekend that God is better than I think he is because he intends for our happiness to be found in him. I almost made it in 60 seconds. He intends for our happiness to be found in him. That's that's what we saw. And so if you missed it, go back last week because we talked about a huge, huge foundational principle of faith. 
And it's found in in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It's not just a foundation of the Jewish faith. It's a foundation of the Christian faith that we would be a people who are dispensing the blessing of God. That we would be people, we would be conduits of God's life-giving power and that, that we would be dispensing God's grace, that we talked about last week, into the world around us. This weekend, we're going to walk away with, with this big idea. God desires pursuit over perfection. God desires pursuit over perfection. We talk a lot about, um, to research, we talk a lot about God pursuing us. Hopefully, if you've been around here for a little while, that is not a new concept. God pursues us. God pursues us. God pursues us. And God calls us to pursue him. That's the call. God, God is, is calling us to pursue him. In fact, our vision, if you go to tourc.tv slash vision and you read the little summary statement, it's all about what? That we would actively pursue God together. That, that, that followers of Jesus would actively, not passively, pursue God together in order that what? That we would experience the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit and we would grow in love for Jesus and for each other. And then ultimately, out of that, the gospel would become real to our neighbors, that we would make the gospel real to our neighbors in tangible ways. But it's all born out of what? Pursuing God together. Actively pursuing God together. The author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 11. That without faith, it is impossible to please him. Talking about God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That passage, I'm going to set it in context for you. If you go to the book of Hebrews, the author there is talking about founders of the faith. And in particular, right there, he's recounting the book of Genesis. And he talks about Adam and Eve, and then he comes to this guy named Enoch. And in between a guy by the name of Enoch, who walked with God and then was not, and a guy by the name of Noah, where God began again with his family and his lineage, this phrase exists. That that what is... What is it? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then right after that, he he talks about the faith of Abraham. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to remind ourselves where we left off because Genesis 12, 1 through 3. If you don't have this like circled, highlighted, underlined, superstarred, put in your notes... All right, you're missing it because this is huge. Not just in the life of the children of Israel and the children that Abraham uh, will, will someday have as his offspring, right? We are the offspring. We saw last weekend, we are the offspring of Abraham. Why? Jesus. Jesus was the deliverance of this promise that God made here in 12, 1 through 3. And if we have life in him, we're connected to this. It's huge in our lives. It's the whole point. Of following Jesus. I know that you've been told. I'm going to go on a rabbit trail for a second. I know that you've been told that, that Jesus loves you. And if you were the last person on earth, that Jesus would die for you. Because he loves you that much. And guess what? He does. But guess what? If you were the last person on earth, God's story doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense that he would die for you. God's story only makes sense is that he died for the sin of the whole world. 
So God's story is better than if you were the only human being on earth, Jesus would die for you. It's far bigger and better than that. It's better. You get to be part of the we who are God's people. I know in our culture it's all about you. Guess what? God's story is all about God. Boom, mind-blowing. God's story is all about God, and you get to be part of God's story. This is the best news you could ever have, and what is it that you're supposed to be doing? Passing along the blessing of God to other people. This is the heart of God's story at the very beginning, and it's going to continue on through the entire story. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great people. That word nation, it's a great people. Don't think modern geopolitical borders. We make a mistake in the scriptures when we equate nation with modern day geopolitical borders. Okay, I will make of you a great people group. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's a reminder. One of God's purposes is that people, the people of the earth would experience his blessing. That people would experience what? His life-giving power and presence. That people would experience the fact that, that they can live at harmony with God. They can be, that the conflict can be resolved. That, that they were once enemies of God and now they become children of God. How? Through the power of God himself, breathing new life in them through Jesus Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, being born anew, being given new life, that they would experience the blessing of God. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in verse 10. So Abraham and his wife Sarah, they've been set apart. They've been given a mission, right? We see them through, through the first part of chapter 12 that they start worshiping God. And then verse 10, it says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah's wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Now, she's 65 at this point, okay? He's 75, she's 65, and I guess she's smoking hot, all right? I don't know. (laughs) Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, then it may go well, not for you, with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. Don't you love that little twist? (laughs) When Abram entered Egypt and the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princess of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. 
So in this, in this book, we see this transition as, as now the story begins about this guy by the name of Abram, who shortly would become Abraham, the founder of faith, okay? The founder of faith. If we want to look at people in the Bible that are biblical heroes, he's top three, okay? You have Abraham, you have Moses, David, not so much Jesus, okay? This is, this is the pinnacle. He is the founder of faith. And what we see is the founder of faith has a rocky start. The founder of faith has a rocky start. The struggle's real, folks. The struggle is real. This makes me feel so good about me. I read this story and I'm like, I'm, I, I don't read this story and be like, oh man, he messed up. He should have would. I'm like, woo, I'm so glad he messed up. Man, I am so glad that the first story that God tells about a person pursuing him is a failure. Now in that, what do you do? I, it's not out of the gate. What do you do when there's a famine? You find food. That's what you do. Okay, there's a famine in the land. The famine's great in the land. So it is interesting, though, that we don't see that he, he doesn't go before God. He doesn't seek God in that. He's just like, man, I got, I got a lot of people that I'm responsible for. So he's a rich guy. Okay, he's not some destitute kind of person. He, he's a rich guy, but he's a nomad. And his family has been traveling for a long time. They're, they have a traveling group of people. He's very wealthy. When it, comes to, when it comes to the developing world, it used to be called the third world. When it comes to the developing world and people are very wealthy, how do you judge wealth? It's not by bank accounts in an unbanked society, if you know what I'm talking about. It's by how much stuff do you have? How many cattle do you have? How many servants do you have? How many donkeys do you have? How many camels do you have? He had them all. He had a lot. And so he goes down there and he's like, he's going to kill me. Why? He wants my stuff. So um, for your sake, let's lie. Now, it's kind of a half-truth, but in that half-truth, some people would call a half-truth a lie, and I'm one of those people. A half-truth is a lie. Like, let's deceive him so I, they won't kill me. And, and along the way, we, we learn a, a valuable lesson. Here's the principle that we learn about God. We cannot thwart God's plans. We cannot thwart God's plans, okay? That, that God's plan, he said, hey, here's the deal, Abraham. I'm going to make of you a great people group. And, and in order to do that, um, he's going to need a wife. Now, if Abraham's plan works out, how did he plan on getting her back? How was she coming back to be his wife? I don't think she was. It's going to go well for me, but it's going to go bad for you. But God's like, oh, that isn't going to work out. My plan isn't going to work out if that happens. And so for the first time, we see that God follows through on this promise that he makes to Abraham. He's like, hey, for the people who curse you, okay, I'm going to curse. We see for the first time the curse happened. It it was even because of Abraham. Pharaoh didn't know what he was doing. He's just like, okay, you want to give her to me as my wife? I'll take her as my wife. And what did, she, what did they experience? They experienced, for the first time, God's curse on them because it wasn't in alignment with God's plans. Now, I know that this messes with some of you because as we talk about not thwarting God's plans, you wrestle with this idea, the concept of God's sovereignty and the free will of humanity. How do we reckon, reconcile these two truths? I always keep in mind my friend Rick. My friend Rick, every time I talk about the sovereignty of God, he brings up, but what about human free will? Why? 
How can it be that, that God's sovereignty is perfect, and yet humans have the ability to do things that are out of alignment with the will of God? So when it comes to God's sovereignty, I just want to give you a, a definition. God's, what God's sovereignty is, it's God's exercise of power over his creation. And, and really, there's three areas in which God exercises power over his creation. It's creation itself. It's human history. We saw that, that God is the author of history. And then in, in the story of God uh, setting apart a people for himself, redemption, that people would have new life through Christ. And this is the areas where we see that God has complete rule, complete reign. And here in our story, we see that God protected Abraham from himself. Abraham tried to, he tried to mess it up. He tried to jack up God's plan. And God's like, nope, I'm going to redirect that. I'm going to, I'm going to fix it. So sometimes God, God changes stuff to protect us. But sometimes he doesn't. Now, here's what we have to hold in tension, right? Is that while these two concepts of the sovereignty of God and God's power and the free will of humanity seem to be black and white, it seems like they can't both be true. The truth is they're both true. Now, my friend Rick hates that. He's going to give me a hard time later saying, you dodged the question. No, I didn't. When, when two things about God seem to be diametrically opposed, that they couldn't both be true, it's called an antinomy. Like, like God doesn't have to work in our economy. Do you know that? He, he doesn't have to think like we think or work like we think he should work. God has demonstrated that while we can't thwart God's plans, we can mess up our lives and the lives of others. We have full ability and full capacity to jack up our lives. Just because God may have a plan that he's working out doesn't mean that your choices don't have ripple, ripple effects in your lives and the lives of everybody around you. Because they do. And we see that here in our story. Who, who were the ripple effects in our story? We have Sarah Sarah, Sarah becomes the wife of Pharaoh. And in, in ancient times, what makes a husband and wife a husband and wife is the same thing that makes a husband and wife and a husband and wife today, if you know what I'm talking about for the kids in the room. In case you're wondering, when he says she's my wife, she's now carrying the emotional damage of having been married to two men. That is not what God created. He created the man and woman that they would become one flesh. And now, what has Abraham done? He's messed her up. And then Pharaoh, what about him? He's like, he just seems to be an innocent bystander. Next thing you know, there's a, we don't know exactly what it is, but there's, there's a curse that's come upon them. He's like, I, I, I didn't even do anything. The ripple effects can be profound. The ripple effects of our lack of faith can be significant. But I think it's also important for us to remember that when we think we have messed it all up and it's beyond all hope, we need to have a reminder that God is bigger than my missteps. God's bigger than my missteps. Okay, it doesn't mean that I won't reap 
the, the damage, right? If, if, if I'm in the workplace and I'm not pursuing God in my relationships in the workplace and, and I develop an emotional affair with somebody in the workplace, I, I shouldn't think, or even worse, I actually have a physical affair with somebody in the workplace, that I shouldn't think that somehow God will just simply save me from those circumstances. No, you made your bed. You know what I'm saying, right? You, you made your bed. That's, you, you made some choices. There's going to be ripple effects. And sometimes God intervenes. Sometimes God chooses not to. The, the ripple effects, are they're going to happen. Why? Because we chose to pursue the thing that we wanted over the pursuit of God. So I'm not saying that, that he, you won't have consequences. But I'm just saying not everything in our lives is lost because we chose to go a different direction. People fail, but God's faithful. People mess up, but God brings redemption. Now, the children of Israel, they don't view Abraham as they looked back at history. They didn't look at, at Father Abraham. They don't look at him through, through the lens of failure. They look at him this way, like the author of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 8 and 9. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. It is interesting that as the New Testament writers, as they talk about Abraham, it's not about his mess-ups. It's a he We know the God of the scriptures. Why? Because of Abraham. God chose to work through him. And so as we look at our lives, we we have to remind ourselves that faith builds over time and our missteps. While while God's plan may get redirected for us personally, God's plan is not thwarted overall. And and we may get to be part of it again. We may never get to be part of it again. God's going to work out what God's going to work out. But, But he's going to have the ability to bring redemption into our story. As we pursue him. It's all about pursuing God. Now, I'm going to tell a story. And I just, I've told this story before. But I don't want you to think, I'm a little bit reluctant. Because I don't want you to think that the goal, that the goal of the Christian life is that everybody would be in vocational ministry. That is absolutely not the goal at all. In many ways, you know, the people who get up here and do this, when we say we're, we're jealous of you, that you get to go to a workplace where people don't know Jesus, we really mean it. I think you got it good. Okay. In my workplace, everybody's supposed to know Jesus and they're supposed to act like they know Jesus. In your, your workplace, they don't know Jesus. And so they act like they don't know Jesus. And you're like, yeah, it's so annoying. No, it's not. That's incredible. It's an incredible opportunity you have every day. I just get to work with church people. <laughs> I just mess. I'm just. I'm totally messing. Not true at all. Anyway, so I, I, I'm a little reluctant to tell the story, but because that's not the point. The point is um, that that God continues to work even in the midst of us making some missteps. And so uh, the first time that I thought God was quote unquote calling me into ministry um, was when I was in high school. And I know some of you are like, oh, a high school story. Well, it's just true. In high school, um, and I, I made some really wrong choices. And I, I had a couple things that I was struggling with. And one was, um, as I looked at um, 
pastors and uh, particularly missionaries that came through the church. I was in a little town, little church, little town, and um, they were weird. I'm like, ah, they're a little weird. I don't want to do that. And then I just made a lot of sinful choices in my life, and I thought, well, I've messed up. I've messed it all up. And so I started to pursue my own plan. And then my sophomore year of, of high school, this movie came out called Top Gun. Anybody hear that one? Now, with that, that messed up my plan. You see, I wanted to be a military pilot before that movie ever came along. And all of a sudden, it's like I I tried to get an ROTC scholarship in the Navy and in the ROTC scholarship in the Air Force. and, And all of a sudden, man, record rates of applicants. Great movie jacked up my plan. And so um, I didn't get it, and so I just went off to college. I wasn't done playing uh, football, and so I went off to college. I didn't know what I wanted to study. I was like, I don't know, business? Isn't that what you study when you don't know what to study? <laughs> so I became a business major. My freshman year, I met, I met a recruiter for the Marine Corps. So I'm talking to this uh, recruiter for the Marine Corps, and he tells me that, that he will give me an aviation contract. I'm like, you got airplanes? He's like, mostly helicopters, but yeah, airplanes and, and helicopters, and yeah. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but the Marine Corps actually invented close air support in military aviation. Like, they're, they're leading edge, cutting edge. I'm like, wow, sign me up. And here's the deal. If we give you an aviation contract and you change your mind or you don't make it through flight school, you don't have to go. We just let you out of the contract. You can just get out. I'm like, this just got even better. So I did it, and I gave myself wholeheartedly to pursuing that. Meanwhile, my relationship with Jesus was headed into the ditch. It was a downward spiral. Why? I wasn't pursuing Jesus at all. I was pursuing kind of a college degree, and I was pursuing football and and becoming a a pilot in the Marine Corps. In the meantime, I get married, and my wife and I, we move out to Hawaii, man. I'm living the dream, and it seems like God is blessing my plan. This is a great plan. Now, while I'm in Hawaii, I I learned what? I don't really dig this Marine Corps thing so much. It doesn't really work for me. And so I'm going to do what? I'm going to become an airline pilot. Airline pilot. In fact, a friend of mine, we had some patches that we had that that said, um, Marine Aviation, a great place to start. Delta, a great place to finish. (laughs) Like that was what it was all about, man. So, so what do you got to do? What do you got to do if you want to be an airline pilot? Well, you need a lot of hours. And one of the things that I learned about being a, a, a fleet marine pilot is you don't get a lot of flight hours. And so for every aspiring airline pilot, we wanted to go to one place. It wasn't to Top Gun. It was to a place called Flight School. It was the promised land of flight hours. You could fly so much that you didn't want to fly again. In fact, you could, you could fly three times what you could fly in a month in the fleet if you could stomach it. I'm like, this is amazing. And so my best friend and I at the time, we got to go. We got to actually go together. And when we went there, what, what, what happened? What we learned was um, he got to be a flight instructor as an airplane. And he checked in the day before me. And they kind of just assign you as you check in. And so, man, I'm going to be in a fixed wing flight instructor. And guess what you need to be an airline pilot? You don't need helicopter time. You need fixed wing airplane flight time. And I'm like, oh, I'm checking in the next day. Man, I'm, I'm so excited. I check in. Guess what I get? 
helicopters. The next 15 people who check in all get helicopter pilots. Because guess what? A bunch of those guys decide to get out and go work for the airlines. Ugh. My plan is all messed up. God, what are you doing? My plan is a mess. I thought you were on my program. So then what happens? So I, I get in the helicopter, and then I'm, I'm there for about a year, and I hear about this job that's come up. I'm living in Florida. There's a job in Texas working for the guy who's in charge of all naval air flight training. And that job, guess what you get to do? It's just a little side benefit of the job. You get to fly two different airplanes and stay qualified in the helicopter which you're flying. I'm like, I want that job. So I talked to the guy. Nobody in the Navy wants the job. For the first time in history, a Marine gets that job. And the Marine Corps didn't even want to send me. I had another CO down, down with me who called up and said, hey, it would be to our advantage to put a Marine in that job. So, so they actually broke, broke the rule and allowed me to move early. God is back on my program. <laughs> this is amazing. Meanwhile, what's happening in my life on the spiritual side is uh, that pit that I was in is, is on an upward trajectory. That I, I'm beginning to understand it's about the pursuit. It's about pursuing God. It's about pursuing the relationship through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's kind of growing in me. And so by the time I'm in Texas for just over a year and a half, this love for flying has gone away. I'm not telling anybody yet. I'm keeping that close to the vest. Because why? That's going to mess up some plans. <laughs> I don't know what this means. I, I'm just struggling. And finally, God sends a mentor into my world. And, and I'm like, I think God is asking me to go into ministry. And I tell my wife, oh, by the way, back when I was 17 years old, I think God was telling me to go into ministry. And she's like, what? Well, that's good for you. But I'm like, I think he's telling me to go to seminary to become equipped. For what? Airline pilots don't need seminary. <laughs> In the midst of all of that, my love of flying goes away. My love for G Jesus ascends. And it's finally like, okay, God, whatever. Whatever, wherever, whenever. Whatever you want. Now with that, I, I don't look back on my life and go, oh, I wish I had. Like, I, I, I don't look back and say, oh, if only I had. Because I, I look at it in a much bigger, bigger light of that, that. That I wouldn't get to be here today if it wasn't for those steps in my world. I wouldn't get to do what I do today. I wouldn't be as passionate. I wouldn't have the background. I wouldn't have the resources to pull from. My story, I don't think I would be nearly as passionate in teaching God's word and understanding it rightly if it hadn't been for the totality of my story. I'm just saying that, that we, can, we can mess it up. It's the story of the prodigal that, that some people would say the prodigal son. Some people would say the prodigal God that we can misstep. And then God says with open arms, welcome back. Now let's get at it. It doesn't mean that that, that weren't some gap years in there. There were some gap years. But in the midst of all of that, God is still at work. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson wrote this in a book um, that's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a very powerful book. It has been really instrumental in my life. He writes that disciple, the word is, is mathetes. It's, it's, a, it's a follower. It's a pupil of. It's an apprentice. Says we are people who spend our lives apprenticed to our master, Jesus Christ. We are in a growing learning relationship always. A disciple is a learner, but not in the academic setting of a schoolroom, rather at the work site of a craftsman. 
we do not acquire information about God, but skills in faith. There's no way that, that we build faith except over time. And now we're going to do a whole series talking about how God builds faith over time. And our job is to keep at it. Your job is to show up. Your job is to pursue. What's your job? To pursue. Pursue who? To pursue Jesus. Through the power of the Spirit at work in you, to pursue Jesus. And over time, it's God's job to help in building our faith. So as we talk about this week and some practical next steps to step into, I want to encourage you, first of all, to engage in the live it out section. In the middle of your bulletin, there's a section called live it out together. And in that section, it's an opportunity for you to live it out in your group, but it's also an opportunity for you to live it out personally. What's it look like for you to interact with the word of God, with God himself in a daily kind of way? Opportunity for you to look at the scriptures, opportunity for you to go back and recollect some things in this series, opportunity for you to ask God questions on a daily basis. But one of the things I'm going to ask you to implement into that daily interaction is asking God this question. How am I attempting to thwart your plan in my life and in the lives of others? God, how, how, how am I? Even unintentionally, even like Abraham, I'm not intentionally trying to thwart your plan. But God, is it my, my attitude towards a certain people group? Is it my attitude towards a certain political group? Is it my attitude towards the economy in America today? Is it my attitude towards the gas prices? What is thwarting your plan for me of being a dispenser of blessing into the world. We talked about last week. If you missed it, go back and watch it. I'm not trying to self-promote. Go back and watch it. Why? It's huge that we would understand that we're dispensers of grace and we're called to be happy people. I'm not excited. The gas is so expensive, but I'm not going to allow it to thwart God's plan. I'm not going to allow that to to allow the, the, the frustration to come through. Because why? Because God called us to be dispensers of grace. And then finally, the, the last one is commit to building your faith this summer. That you would say, hey, this summer, I'm going to actively engage. I'm not going to take a summer off. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm just going to coast through. Now, you know what? Go to the beach. Have a great time. You can tune in on the weekend now online. We have resources we've never had before. That's amazing. I'm really looking forward to going to the beach, enjoying time with my family. It's coming up over the next few weeks. It's going to be great. But that doesn't mean we don't pursue God in it. And so make the, the clear, conscious choice. Make the commitment in your family. Commit today. Hey, let's not take the summer off from Jesus. Let's take the summer off from school because that's terrible. But let's, let's pursue Jesus together this summer. Let's do that. What we're going to do now, all our campuses, all our venues, is we're going to worship. The God we were just talking about, the God who desires that we pursue him really does desire that we would pursue him, that we would actively pursue him together. And one of the ways that we can do that is to declare praise through song. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. Every venue, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us. God, we need you desperately. We need your help in all things. And we need your help as we declare your praise and worship in Jesus' name.